You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Thanks for tuning into the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. We continually are trying new things with the show. So if you'd like new questions or you have any new suggestions for us, feel free to reach out. We're happy to hear it. A couple of you listeners have, and we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to be on the show as either a millionaire interview or as a guest interview, please feel free to reach out. We're happy to have anybody on. We've had many guest interviews who aren't yet millionaires, but are on their way to becoming such. So Also, we have some multifamily investing opportunities uh, in both the Southwest and the Northeast regions. We've continually had high IRRs and success, and we're partnering with a couple guys that have a great track record of success. Excuse me. So if you're interested in investing, please feel feel free to reach out. We continue to work on uh, audio quality and other things with the show. So thanks again for tuning in and listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. So on today's show, we have Adam, and he has a current net worth of $1.25 million, and that includes about eighty k in his 401k and one hundred and ten in Roth IRAs, and then he has a lot in, in just uh, brokerage and investment accounts. He spends about $55,000 a year, and we talked to him about that spending and whether he expects that to uh, increase in the future and how much he thinks he needs before he retires. He hit his first million at 35 years old. And we also discussed with him self-control and spending and maintaining spending habits to talk some, or we also give him some rapid fire questions, the most expensive jeans, most expensive car, uh, his GPA and, and those sort of things. We started to do those rapid fire questions and it's interesting to, to compare the answers uh, among the millionaires that we interview. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Adam. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Today on the show, we've got Adam. Adam, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to today? Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a former like programmer, developer, turned uh, product manager. Uh, I'm 35, live out here in Utah after just moving from Orlando. And, yeah, started investing in early 20s and have been at it since. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? About $1.25 million. Good stuff. And, uh, <laughs> How is that broken up? I know that on, on your website and stuff, which is uh, for our listeners, is minafi.com. That's M-I-N-A-F-I.com. You, you get pretty into uh, the weeds there, but do you want to just kind of tell our listeners how, that, uh, how your net worth is broken up? Yeah. So... Um, I don't really have anything except regular old investments. I don't have any real estate or really any other assets other than my car, but I don't really count that one. So the whole, uh, the whole 1.25 is, uh, all pretty much all index funds. So the way it breaks down is about 15% of that in like a tax advantage account, like Roth IRAs and 401ks. So the bulk of it, that's, 85% is just in brokerage funds. And uh, as far as holdings go, uh, mostly uh, just Vanguard total stock market. That's like 40% right there. 
and then another like 20% international. And uh, yeah, the rest uh, combination of bonds, real estate investment, trust, and a couple other uh, smaller ones. So probably about 95% index funds, mostly just international bond in the US. And then the last 5%, I just consider like um, speculative, <laughs> which I consider to be like uh, individual stocks. So very little in individual stocks, and pretty much just all of it in index funds. Have you always maintained uh, this kind of breakup between the the index funds and the bonds and the REITs and then, you know, minimal amount in individual stocks? Yeah, yeah I've never done much with regular stocks. Um, I think when I first started investing, before I learned about index funds, I had maybe like two or 3,000 in stocks because I assumed like that was the way that, you know, it was the best way to make money investing. And I hadn't even heard about an index fund. But uh, at some point when I was getting started, I lucked into reading the Boggleheads Guide to Investing. And uh, John Boggles, the guy who started Vanguard and like created the first mutual funds back in what, like, I don't know if it was the 70s or the 80s. But yeah, reading that book really like opened my eyes to like the power of using a like a mutual fund that invests in like, I think the, the total stock market fund invests in something like 5,000 different funds which uh, really blew away the, the one fund that I was investing in for diversification purposes. That's cool. So one thing that, uh, that you've got, you've got a little bit in some cryptocurrencies. Do you want to just kind of give us some insight into why you've put some money into those and kind of how the investment's been and, and kind of your experience with that? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I was a developer and I think like a couple years ago, I was at something called a like startup weekend. <laughs> it's one of these events where like people get together, they pitch ideas and then they build them out over the weekend. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, they have them in most cities. And I think this was like in 2012 or something. And there were like three or four different Bitcoin startups at this thing. <laughs> when I think about it now, like the price of Bitcoin at the time was like six bucks, but there were so many people who were so enthusiastic about it. And of course I didn't actually get into it then, but I kept watching it. <laughs> and uh, I guess early last year, um, I did use some of that 5% of my portfolio that I, I mentioned is for speculative investment and put that 5% into Bitcoin and Ethereum and just kind of see how it does. Um, so I just kind of dollar cost averaged it in over like probably the second half of the year last year in 2017. And, uh, all in all, I think it ended up with, uh, me investing about 50,000 in it. And I think at its peak in January, it went up to like 160,000. <laughs> so it was up like 300%. But the, the downside is that me as an index investor, like I, I'm all about like buying and holding. So I didn't know what to do with this sudden gain. Like, do I do I keep holding it? Like, do I sell it now and pay the short-term capital gains taxes, or do I hold it and try to pay long-term? So I didn't have like really good rules for myself on like when I should sell. So I've ended up just holding on to it 
but setting some rules in the future for like if it hits a certain amount, I should sell, you know, what percentage of it. And uh, that's helped kind of wrap my head around how I could approach this in the future. Gotcha. I just want to review your uh, your portfolio here. So you're about 53% in U.S. stocks, 21% in international, about 14 in bonds, and in 12% in other. And then going back to your retirement accounts, have you maxed out your, your IRAs and 401ks each year, or, or when did you start with those? Yeah, I think I started maxing out the 401k when I was like 25 or so. Um, I kind of started investing when I was 24 when my mom passed away and I inherited about a hundred thousand from that. So it's kind of, you know, a, a big learning curve there and with a lot of other things going on. So I did what a lot of people do and started with, uh, an investment advisor that was with the bank that my mom had her money at, which was, you know, a good way to make every mistake in the world on like, like load funds, that charge a huge amount up front or high fees. Um, and yeah, just <laughs> making every mistake until I read that Bogglehead book. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it helped kind of solidify how much I should have in bonds because uh, at the time, like I, even the Bogglehead's book says like your age in bonds and that never really seemed right for like any other um, descriptions I was reading on like what an aggressive portfolio is or even a semi-aggressive one that seemed very conservative so I kind of have been going with this idea of my age divided by two in bonds and then for the rest of it um, two-thirds of that in the U.S. one-third of it in international and that's kind of the, the target allocation I go with Gotcha. So just for our listeners to review here, you have about 80,000 in your 401k and 110 in Roth IRAs. How much in real estate? And is that something you plan to do in the future or do you plan to just stick with the markets? Yeah, I, the real estate part, it, I, I always see people making like amazing amounts of money with it. And it, it always looked interesting. Um, I had that experience where, where after my mom passed away, I owned, I all of a sudden owned a multi-unit property. And I was dealing with deadbeat tenants who didn't want to pay. And it was just like a whole nightmare experience. It really soured me to the idea of real estate investing. Um, so unfortunately, that kind of like turned me off to it for years. Eventually down the line, I started reading more about it as I had like cash to potentially invest in it. I read like every book I could find, listened to way too many articles on bigger pockets or podcasts of bigger pockets, which, which was really great for getting um, like a good understanding and even like talk to uh, like got, got all the people you need, like, you know, and then a person to do the mortgage, like a, a real estate uh, realtor to take you to some places and like analyzing properties. But when I actually thought about like what the day to day would look like as that owner, like dealing with the kind of scenarios that I had before and it, it just didn't seem like something I wanted in my life. So I've kind of opted to forego what could be a very valuable investment opportunity in real estate and instead to go with the slow and steady route of uh, um, just index fund investing. Awesome. Do you remember how old you were when you hit your, when you hit uh, millionaire status? It was just this past year. So 35, like a 
the and market's been on a tear, so it's been, yeah. it's been pretty nice. And did you do anything to celebrate, or, or was it just kind of the same same day? Uh, so the, the same year hit million. We, uh, my wife and I got married, and we went on our honeymoon to Southeast Asia. So those were probably the two biggest expenses outside of, like, my car or, like, college. <laughs> and do you carry any debt at all? Uh, nope. Um, you know, pay off car, and right now we don't have any house so we just live in our apartment so it's made for very low uh month-to-month expenses so you're still renting now yeah we just started um when we moved out here uh this past december a new a new lease here and do you have plans to to buy a home or or is that something you're holding off on or what's the any specific reason behind that financial reason i guess not really a financial reason i think the, the big one is uh not really knowing where I'd want to, where we, where we'd want to be in like five years down the line or 10 years down the line. And, uh, like owning a, owning a house remotely, um, and not being able to get it, get to it and help out requires like having like all the right people to manage it. And like, that would be a great place to be, but I like a kind of a more hands-on approach. So the thought of moving and not managing sounds a little scary to me. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm just asking because we, you know, we've done, we've talked a lot on the interviews about buying a house, and and even had a couple on Five Guy and Five strongly encourage buying a house. So, just curious there. How much do you spend a year? How much does it cost you guys to live a year? So, uh, I track my spending pretty meticulously, really just after the fact though. Um, so every quarter, I'll, I'll go and review how much I spent. Um, so last year it was right around like seventy-two thousand. Um, but that was with that honeymoon and the wedding. So a realistic number is probably closer to 55000 on a normal year. And do you plan for that amount of spending to, to kind of continue as you move into potential early retirement? I think, I think it'll probably be pretty similar. Um, I'd expect it to go up a little bit from um, like health insurance, depending on if my wife and I leave workforce at different times and we're able to use each other's healthcare. But uh, yeah, that would be the, the biggest like question mark to me. It's something I haven't researched enough about, but it's enough that it's, uh, it's something that would potentially be the, the big like stone in my shoe <laughs> for that. Yeah. Do you plan to, to pursue early retirement? Yeah, definitely uh, thinking about it. Um, I've One of the ways that I've been thinking about it is like, uh, there's this uh, principle for estimation that we use in like project management, product management, which is like you take your your low estimate of how, how much something is and your high estimate and then your best guess estimate and you multiply that best guess estimate by four and you add the high and the low. So for instance, like, you know, I think my spending now is around 55000 but my high spending, you know, assuming you know, we had a really rough year, had a lot of things go wrong. It might be like 80,000, um, kind of use those numbers and multiply them together and then divide by six and get like, uh, this number that's more around like 70,000, 70, 77,000 actually, which is what I'm kind of planning on building up to before making any kind of retirement decision. Interesting. So tell us a little bit about your, your trip to, uh, Southeast Asia. Where did y'all go on your honeymoon there? Oh, that was that was such a fun trip. Uh, we went to uh, Vietnam, um, Cambodia, and Laos. 
And uh, yeah, we'd never been to any of those places, but you know, we started in um, Saigon, went up to Hanoi and Hoi An, which is like a, a, a city on the village on the, on the water. And uh, probably our favorite places of all were in uh, Laos, which really knew nothing about going into it, um, but just beautiful places, very like chill vibe everywhere, very um, welcoming and friendly people everywhere. And uh, yeah, going to Cambodia and we were able to see Angkor Wat um, and tour that around for, we were only able to see there, see it for a day, but it's, it seems like one of those places that you could spend like a month or a year at and still just like scratch the surface of what's there to see. Yeah. So I definitely want to go back. That's cool. Is that something that you would kind of pursue if you did kind of go into early retirement? Would you travel more and maybe go to some of those lower cost countries? Yeah, we thought some about like uh, the whole geo arbitrage idea where, you know, you spend a couple months out of the year in a lower cost area and then a couple months back somewhere in the U.S., for instance. And that idea has, has a ton of appeal to me. Um, I really like the idea of like going somewhere long enough to really like get out of my, my normal tourist mindset and be able to just like relax and settle in and just like get used to going to the grocery store and cooking food at home and, you know, in an apartment there. And yeah, that's something I definitely want to try. Cool. When you started investing 10 plus years ago, was your intention to, to get to a millionaire status by some point or to get to the, a financial freedom number by some point in your life? Uh, yeah, I think initially when I started investing, I had this like very uh, optimistic goal of potentially getting to a million by like age 30. But then this whole Great Recession thing happened and kind of messed my, those plans up. <laughs> so it kind, of, uh, it kind of changed the way I, I set my plans. Um, kind of more from um, like being outcome driven to being like input driven and it's like how much can I save today how much how little can I spend today and like you know kind of focusing on the parts that I really have control of and uh, so I think learning about the whole like financial independence movement which wasn't something I learned about until probably 2012 or something and kind of this idea of like how much money I would actually need to be self-sufficient that was kind of the, the missing piece that let me put it in perspective, how much money I actually need to save. It kind of gave like a, a next goal. So it wasn't so much just saving up to a million. It was more like, okay, if I save up to this point, then I can potentially be all set. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was a neat discovery, but it happened many, many years after I started investing. So going forward, do you have a goal, a target net worth or passive income or any goals or just kind of continuing to keep going and keep investing? Um, yeah, right, right now, um, I think I'd love to just get up to around like $2 million saved up. That would be enough to have, um, I'm doing the math on it right now, that's, uh, that's about $80,000 a year on like a 4% withdrawal rate that would more than cover our expenses and I think any potential health insurance kind of thing. So somewhere around there is kind of a, a rough guess, but even, even after hitting a number, like any, any specific number, it's uh, uh, not going to probably influence like me leaving my job or retiring or something. It's probably more like once that's met and I feel like I'm, I'm 
wanting to take a break. <laughs> Those would kind of be the combined criteria that would uh, probably inspire a, a life change like that. Sure. So in the Spire movement, everybody has goals, right? Whether it's whether it's someone trying to reach mi- to or to become a millionaire, whether it's a passive income flow, cash flow, whether it's to retire early or you know whatever it may be. And oftentimes, you know, they work hard and they invest and they're frugal to get to these goals. And so, you know, now that you've you've reached, I guess, one of your goals to become a millionaire, and you're and you're young at 35, worth 1.25 million, has has that increased your confidence and happiness level, or at what point did did maybe it not matter so much anymore having the money? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Like I was, uh, I was looking over like my, um like spending over like the last 10 years or so. And even as I've like earned more money, like the amount that I've, I've spent has kind of capped off around the 70,000 number. And uh, that, that seems right with like some of the articles I've read, which is like, uh, you know, what's, what's the perfect amount of money you need to be the happiest you could be. And a lot of, a lot of uh, research on that, like, I mean, it seems like it's going to be different depending on where in the country you live but a common number that comes up for that is right around that 70 to 80,000 range. And I think for me, that was, that was kind of true. It was, it was like, after that, my lifestyle kind of stopped changing and it wasn't so much money that was any different. It was just like trying to find ways to uh, use my time. That was the the bottleneck in in happiness. (laughs) And, and what about confidence levels? Has that helped you just maybe take some or alleviate some of the stress off and kind of make some of those things go away? If anything, uh, I'd actually put myself in the in the super privileged category because I I didn't graduate with any student debt. Like I went to a, a state school in Florida, so I was able to jump right out of college without debt and just start making money and stocking it away into a four hundred one k right away. So I am like hugely appreciative to my parents for being able to be in that position. So I kind of I, I was lucky enough to not have that like lack of confidence. I always felt like I knew, uh, you know, where I was going. I wasn't worried about like making any payments or eating or anything. Um, so any, anything I've had since then has really just been icing building towards, um, this early retirement or self-sufficient idea. And how has it been? You talked about your parents teaching you. Was there one moment that stood out, whether it came from them or somebody else or a book a book you read? You talked a little bit about Boglehead's Guide to Investing. Was there something that kind of flipped the switch for you initially? Um, I think one thing that probably my, my parents instilled in me pretty well um, was this concept of like just self-control, uh, which feeds in well to like, you know, having the ability to save money, having the ability to not spend everything you earn. And uh, kind of what my parents did for that was uh, I'd get my allowance, you know, just like 10 bucks a week. And I'd get another $5 a week on top of that. But that $5 a week, I had to just put in a drawer. I couldn't spend, but I could every couple months take it to the bank and deposit it there. And the idea was that this $5 that they were giving me, it was my responsibility to kind of take care of and grow, um, but not spend. So it kind of falls in line with that. I think it's like a, um, I don't remember if it's Tony Robbins or someone, this idea of like carrying $100 in your pocket at all times, even if you're not going to spend it, and kind of learning just to have money and not spend it. So I think they kind of 
accidentally taught me that from a very early age. Yeah, and I I think you're seeing more and more too with millennials, especially where people are getting into more debt. They have more credit cards. There's a little bit of "I want it now" attitude, right? Where they're they're just you know we're buying whatever we want. Has it been hard to maintain your spending level as your as either your income or your net worth has grown? Um, I definitely see like the the desire to buy more things if I'm just on more social media or watching more TV. I think that's probably been the bigger influence to me than having the money. Like uh, just seeing seeing more things has been the bigger draw. I think uh, having the money itself hasn't been kind of a, like I have it so I should spend it kind of thing. Yeah. So I got some rapid fire questions here for you. We started doing these a few episodes uh, ago at a suggestion of a couple of our listeners. So just uh, I'm going to rattle off about eight to 10 questions for you. So most expensive jeans you've ever bought? A hundred dollar pair of Levi's jeans that we got. (laughs) Okay. Most expensive shoes? A hundred and fifty dollar pair of um, Adidas weightlifting shoes. (laughs) Okay, most expensive car? Um, my current Mazda uh, 6S, it was a three-year-old used one from CarMax at 21000 Okay, most expensive meal out that you have paid for? That one is crazy high. Um, and on a trip to Germany, we booked a, a $1,200 dinner at a three Michelin star restaurant in the castle. That was like our splurge of the trip, $1,200. Just the two of you? Wow. Yeah. It was awesome? It was awesome. It was so good. (laughs) So that maybe answers this next question. What item or items are worth spending more money on? (laughs) Yeah, we we definitely appreciate good food. I think food and travel are probably the two big ones. And we'll, we'll eat out like a super expensive meal somewhere new, but then we'll eat out like crazy cheap if we're just staying local. Yeah. Okay. What's not worth the money to you? What are you, what do you kind of like to save on or what are you cheaper on? Uh, definitely on the car front. Um, we, we actually did an activity at my work where one of the questions was, uh, someone, you heard someone spent a lot of money on their car. How much did they spend? And I wrote 35,000 and I was the lowest of the entire company. <laughs> hmm. So everyone else in the company thought if someone spends a lot on a car, it's, a number higher than 35,000. Yeah, going cheap on cars is, is, a, is a good one. Okay, high school and college GPA? Uh, high school was a 2.9 weighted, unweighted and like a 3.6 weighted, and then college was around a, a 2.9. Okay, and then we talked about this a little bit earlier, but if you had to predict now, what's your predicted retirement age? Um, I'd say before 40. So, yeah, within the next five years. Probably the next three years. Okay. And what was your first job and what did you make your first job out of college? <laughs> uh, my first job out of college was at a foreign currency um, exchange company doing website development. And at the time, I made uh, $12.50 an hour. And then when I graduated college, they upped that to uh, 37000 a year. Good stuff. So... What mistakes have you made along the way, if any? Oh, yeah. Definitely made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, so I mentioned one of the big ones was uh, going with that financial advisor that charged that 1% fee. And then they put me in funds that had a 1% fee. 
And then they put me in funds that had a load, which means like of 2%. That means like I have to pay 2% just to have sort of the privilege of investing in this fund. That was a, that was a pretty notable mistake. Um, the, the next biggest one was uh, even though I sold the house that I inherited from my mom, I also bought a house that same year in 2006. So not the best time to buy a house. Uh, I ended up selling it, I think, uh, 11 years later for a 20% loss. Interesting. Yeah, that was the biggest for sure. Bad timing. Yep. Going forward, if there's a 22-year-old, 23-year-old just graduated, what kind of advice would you give them if they want to get on a path to, to retire by 40? Uh, I'd say the biggest things to learn are uh, understanding how savings rate influences like early retirement age. Um, that's probably the one biggest indicator of like where you're going is understanding the, the ratio of how much you're spending versus how much you're saving. Um, and then with the money that you are saving, um, I, I always recommend the Baba Hutt's Guide to Investing book because it was so helpful for me for understanding like what to do with that money that I'm putting aside and uh, just how to allocate that between different types of tax advantage or non-tax advantage funds, what the benefits are of diversification and how bonds help. And uh, yeah, just understanding savings rate and then what to do with the money you're saving via investing. Good stuff. Adam with the net worth of $1.25 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks a ton. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.